so thankful for the family of God. I'm so thankful for the presence of God. There's nothing like being a part of the church. There's nothing like being a part of the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. The Bible says God takes the solitary and places them in a family. If you feel alone, I, I want to encourage you to be part of the family. There's nothing like it. When we were having service in Brookings on Wednesday, I get a phone call. My kids, very concerned, elevated voice about a pipe burst in the home and water pouring in and steam and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm 45 miles away. And if I didn't have the church, I'd be in trouble. But I thank God for the family of God, able to call people here at the church. And immediately, God placed giftings in this church that were able to meet that need. I thank God that James and Akilah swung by there real fast. Then right after that, Nathan and Troy and Dave. And, and we have heat in our home and water's not leaking. And uh, I thank God. There's nothing like the church. There's nothing like the church. Hallelujah. Keep pastor in your prayers. They're ministering up in Moorhead, Minnesota. They should be back later today. And I love and appreciate the chemist family. They are just a God-sent, God-leadership. And I'm thankful for godly leadership. This congregation is blessed. And uh, there's just I'm just so much to be thankful for. The longer I've lived, especially in South Dakota and Watertown and what we're a part of, I learned to appreciate what's happening here locally more and more. What a beautiful atmosphere, access to the presence of God that we have. What a beautiful anointing is in this room, godly singing, not just talented singing, but godly anointed singing. We, you feel what you feel because of a couple things. One, what we preach and what we teach. If you ever hear something pre uh, preached here, taught here that you do not understand, always remember to circle back. Like, you know, what I love that I feel here is connected from the message that comes from here. You know, the Bible says we worship in spirit and in truth. It's not one or the other. It's both and. And the other thing is there is a great spirit behind those involved in this church that are submitted, surrendered, consecrated, prayerful, and I'm thankful that this is the type of family of God that is here. We're going to go to the book of Matthew chapter 5. As you're reaching there and going there, just want to give a quick update on what's going on in Next Town Ministries. Thankful for the new works in Millbank, Webster, and Brookings that go on every week. Every Wednesday we're in Brookings, and then on Sunday we're in Webster at 9 a.m., Millbank at 6 p.m., so if you know anyone that lives in those areas, let them know about the church. And that basically, that's what this was. This was a church plant that grew. And that's what we're trying to do out there is see a rural revival across South Dakota. I believe that's what the Lord has for us to do. And it was great today in Webster as we were meeting there at the visitor center in the basement, the downstairs of the uh, courthouse. We had uh, someone from the jail ministry that's come the past two weeks. That's just amazing. And I'm thankful for that. And then in Brookings, we have a new family that started coming and moved here from uh, Salisbury, Indiana. If you haven't met Kyle and Lauren Champion, we will go ahead and wave your hand over there and your kids. Make sure you introduce yourself to them. They felt a burden and a call to be a part of what God's doing in next town. And they namely felt uh, gravi gravity towards Brookings. And so they are helping with us and the Royers. And uh, they just moved here. And so just... Just tell them it's not always cold here and make them feel better about their move. Uh, no, don't lie to them. Don't lie to them. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38. Jesus speaking here in the word of the Lord. He says, you have heard that it has been said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Some of us would love to still live in the Old Testament. Someone punch me in the face, I'm going to punch him back. Someone kick me in the mouth, I'm going to kick him back. That was the Old Testament, that if you harm somebody and there is a casualty, whether it be to their flock or to their faculties, they can reciprocate that. There would be 
a like punishment, an equal punishment. And so in verse 39, Jesus begins to present a paradigm shift. He says, but I say unto you, resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. As people talk about, you know, the Old Testament, thankful not to live in the Old Testament, a bunch of rules and regulations and an angry, cranky God. And thinking that the New Testament is easy, cheesy, lemon squeezy. Uh, this is just, we got it, we got it like a walk in the park. It's just a bed of tulips, cotton candy. We have nothing to worry about because God has lowered the bar and we have easy living. But I, I, I present to you, it is quite the opposite of that. You just be honest with yourself. Tell me which is more difficult. Punching someone back after they punch you back? Or punch you first? Hopefully you're not the perpetrator. Or after someone punches you, you do nothing back. And you allow them to inflict more pain on you. Which one of the sides of the two covenants is more difficult? The Old Covenant or the New Covenant? The Old Testament or the New Testament? Maybe it's easy for you, but I'll tell you, I struggle with the idea of someone punching me and me not retaliating. I have a, I, I, I have a severe issue with flesh not to hit them back and then to offer them the other side of my face to inflict pain upon it. But we, we think, oh, this is the way it is. You know, I don't know if Paul would have made it you know, in, in uh, the day and age which we're living. And you say, well, it's still New Testament. I, I don't know. If we uh, didn't exercise what Jesus taught, if Paul broke through the back doors of the church, I think we probably would have got gunned down right away and there would be no Apostle Paul. Did I lose everybody? If a terrorist comes in, we're going to pull out and we're going to gun him down. That's what Paul was before he was converted. A terrorist walking in through churches, grabbing women and children, locking them up, making them denounce the name of Jesus, watching them die, holding people's coat while there's a bloody mess. But in America, you tell me which is a harder way to live, the Jesus way or the Old Testament way? He goes on to say to continue to press how difficult it is, this concept. If someone sues you with the law after they take, you know, a million dollars from you, say, oh, hey, you don't know, have the remaining million that I have. You, you take my jacket, you can take my shirt too. Don't just stop there. I'll give you even more of what I have. This is the Bible, folks. Verse 41, whoever compels you to go a mile, go with him twain. It was the custom of the day, the law of that day, the Romans ruled over the Jews. And if a soldier saw a Jew and the Roman was tired of carrying something, he would just tell that Jew in a condescending way, get over here and carry my stuff. And by law, they had to go one mile carrying that equipment or that baggage, that luggage of the Roman soldier. But Jesus says, don't just do that, go the extra mile. After you finish your final mile, Go another mile with them. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Very, very different that you may be children of your Father which is in heaven. He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. The good farmer and the evil farmer both get the rain. This is how our Father operates. If you love them that love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do the same. If you salute your brethren only, if you're only good to the people that are good to you, what different are you? What do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans do the same. What about us differentiates us from the rest of society? Are there any identifiers in our life that help people 
to clearly know they are a child of the Heavenly Father. That is a Christian. That is a man of God. That is a woman of God. You, you can disagree with this, but I would say evidence all around us would say the opposite. This is the reality is that it is becoming more increasingly difficult to distinguish who is a Christian or not a Christian or what is the difference between the two. When, when, when the Christian is quoting the same things as the non-Christian, when the language of the Christian is no different than the non-Christian, when the action of the Christian is no different than the non-Christian, when the apparel of the Christian is no... You go down the list, how, any category you want, there is no difference. And people say, well, you know, Jesus, he's in my heart. Well, let him out. Let your light so shine that people may see your heavenly Father. Let your light shine. But we cover him up, and that ought not to be. The darker the hour in which we are living, the brighter the church needs to be living and shining. What do ye more than others? Is your lifestyle more of God or less of God in comparison to those not even living for God? He says in verse 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Way to set the bar, Jesus. I don't want you just to do average. I don't want you just to get a passing grade. I want you to be perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And that kind of messes with our head because we know we're not perfect. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none sinless. There is none perfect. And yet Jesus says you need to be perfect. See, for God to require it means we can aspire to it. We would not preach and teach holiness except that the Lord said, Be holy, for I, the Lord God, am holy. And so for God to say, here's the invitation, here's the requirement, means he can make a way for us to walk in it. And we can look at it and say, man, there's no way I can live holy. There's no way I can be godly. There's no way I can be any different than my classmates. There's no way I can be any different than my coworkers. There's no way I can be any different from my heathen family. Because I look at my father who is perfect. I look at me who is imperfect, fallen, and sinful, and perverse, and twisted, and wicked. We are worlds apart. Well, how, how do you close the gap? It's called prayer. When you begin to pray to your Father which is in heaven and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Prayer is the bridge between the imperfect and the perfect. Prayer closes the chasm between the holy and the unholy. When we become a praying people, a perfect God comes down into an imperfect life. And by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, I become what I could no otherwise become. It's a holy God working in me. It's a new nature working in me. It's a new... God can transform. Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We look here at this verse in verse 41 about here's the requirements to go a mile. But he says, I, I, I want you to go the extra mile. I want to speak here with the help of the Lord for the next few moments about more than a little. More then a little. Would you pray with me that God would help us in these next few moments? I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit that we feel in this house. And I pray, God, that you would give every hearer ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking. I pray in the name of Jesus we do not quench the Spirit. I pray we do not resist the Spirit. But I pray we are open, yielded, submitted, and surrender, God. I pray that you give us a healthy and whole filter to receive the pure Word of God. And I pray in the name of Jesus that the good Word would land on good ground. And that it take root, that it would sprout up, that it would grow, that it would be fruitful. And, Lord, that which came here, Lord, all by themselves 
enough, they would leave God with a 30-fold, a 60-fold, and a 100-fold. I pray, God, I believe that there can be an immediate sign. I believe there can be immediate confirmation, Lord, that the seed has landed. And by your miracle-working power, it will sprout, and there will bring forth fruit in Jesus' name. I pray you open up the windows of heaven and roll back the roof of this church. Fixate a ladder between heaven and earth. I pray that the angels of God would ascend and descend upon this sanctuary. God, we love you. We magnify you. We praise you. And everybody say in Jesus' name. More than a little. As I have already mentioned and laid some of the groundwork, I believe that the New Testament holds us to a higher standard of living. And I will say it is a more difficult standard of living. In fact, it is an impossible standard of living in your flesh by itself. It is impossible. Just like when Jesus said, it's easier for, you know, when he's uh, speaking and he turns to the disciples after a rich man walks away rejecting what Jesus told him to do. The disciples said, oh my goodness, this guy, he, he walked away. And Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to be saved. And the apostles, they're perplexed and they said, well, who then can be saved? That's, that's impossible. And Jesus says, with man, it is impossible. But with God... All things are possible to them that believe. And so Jesus says it's impossible for him to get to that place and make it to heaven. But if God gets into the equation, that man can get into heaven. And so it's not impossible for a rich man to get to heaven. A rich man can get to heaven. In fact, I'm looking at the top 1% wealth of the world. If you live in the United States of America and you make with an income of $30,000 a year, you are the top 1% wealth of the world. It's impossible for us to go to heaven because we got so much things that we're, we are attached to, so much material. But see, because we found God and God has helped us to prioritize, to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he'll take care of all these things. He'll take care of our shelter. He'll take care of our clothing. He'll take care of our food. He'll take care. We don't have to fear if faith is at the forefront. We don't have to fear if our father is the primary pursuit of our lives. And so Jesus says it's impossible with man, but with God all things are possible to them that believe. I take us to a story here in the book of Genesis chapter 24. I read through starting at verse 10. To give you a backdrop of the context of this story, what we find here is Abraham, the father of the faithful. He now has his son Isaac, and Abraham is very old. He's about to die. He knows his time is drawing to a close, and so he gets his head servant, and his head servant that's been faithful to him and served him, he says, I want you to find my son a wife before I die. I don't know if he didn't trust his son's judgment. I guess that's rule number one to kids, trust none of them. And all the teens said Amen. Nope, not one amen from the teenagers. <laughs> but this, this servant has been faithful to Abraham, and Abraham can trust his servant to go pick a bride for his son because that, son, that servant has been following Abraham, has been shadowing Abraham. He knew the preferences of his master. He knew the desires of his master. He knew the standards of his master. He knew the lifestyle of his master. He knew what his master would approve and disapprove of. That's the power of us being servants of Christ. If we can ever be close to him long enough, if we can spend more time with him long enough, he can begin to, I don't want to just trust Jesus. I want Jesus to begin to trust me, saying, I trust my servant to go out and perform this. I trust my servant to go out and do that. That's the kind of servant you and I can be. And so Abraham trusts his servant to pick his son's bride. And so all of a sudden the servant goes out here. We're reading in verse 10, the servant takes 10 camels. They're the camels of his master. He has all these goods, all these treasures of his master. Verse 11, he travels with them and arrives to the city in which he's supposed to be. And on the outskirts of the city is a well of water at the time of evening. It is a time in which women come out and would draw water and bring it back to their homes before it got completely dark. 
And so as he is sitting here in that moment knowing what is about to come, verse 12, we read the servant praying. He says, Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray you, send me good speed this day. God, I need a good day. You ever pray that before? Especially after the last day wasn't so hot. It wasn't so good. And you're like, God, I, I can use a good day. I can use a good south wind to get us above zero. God, I, I, can, I can use a good work day where I get a bonus. God, I can use a good day where things work out just right. He prays this. And he says, show kindness to my master Abraham. I stand here by the well of the water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. So I pray this in, in verse 14. Let it come to pass the damsel that I speak to and make the request, let down your pitcher that I may have something to drink. And if this damsel will reply with drink, and I will give your camels drink also, let the same be she that was appointed for thy servant Isaac. Thereby shall I know that he has shown kindness to my master. And it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold, Rebekah came out. What an awesome moment. Before he finished his prayer, God's answering mid-prayer. That's, that's the kind of God we... Now listen, it doesn't always work out that way. In fact, sometimes you knock, then you got to come back again and knock. Then you got to come back again and knock. And Jesus talks about that in Luke 11 and in Luke 18 about the importunate widow, the persistent person coming at the midnight hour asking for a loaf of bread. Jesus teaches us to keep returning with the same request. But every once in a while, God just answers your prayer even before the prayer comes to pass. We just had that occur just the other day, and it's the prayer still playing out. But my wife and I, we were in the plane heading, heading down to Texas to minister somewhere, and someone texts me his prayer team in Louisiana, and they just hey, you got a prayer request that we could bring to our team? And so I just text a couple things about next town, and I said, just pray continued more labors because the work is great. And I, I turned my phone off, and then all of a sudden as the plane lands, I turned my phone back on, and I got a text about someone that had a dream. They felt that they were supposed to come out here, and they're supposed to help, and, and they talked to their pastor. And it's like, boom. I didn't even, I, I, before I even finished the day, before I even said in Jesus' name, before this prayer team even had their prayer meeting at night, God already began to set things in motion. Why? Because he's that kind of God. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. And so before he prays, she shows up. And as she shows up, the Bible says in verse 16, she was, she was purdy. She was quite fair. She was quite attractive. And he's like, yep, my master would like, he would approve. He would approve. This, this is the type. But not only is she pretty, she is pure. And all of a sudden, as she goes down to the well and fills her pitcher, a servant runs to her in verse 17. He says, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water. Someone say, a little water. Let me drink a little water from your pitcher. She brought that pitcher from her home because they would go to the well and they would let the bucket down the well. Then they pull the bucket out of the well. Then they pour it into their vessel. Then they would carry that vessel home. And it, it, it wasn't like some like little cute little tiny cup. It would be gallons. It would be a large vessel. And it would not be a light, you know, aluminum, you know, type vessel where it was feather light. and It was heavy. It was stoneware. And so this big old vessel that she's carrying, and then she'd fill it up with gallons of water. Not sure exactly how many gallons other than it can hold quite a bit. More than you walking around with a gallon of milk. And he says, I just asked for a little bit of water from your pitcher. I want you to notice in verse 17, he does not ask for much. He makes a simple request that anybody should be able to meet. He said, I just want a little bit of water. It's just him and her there, and he makes this request. And he does not mention one thing about his camels. Now, he talked to God about his camels. He says, the woman that I believe that you're going to give to my master is not only going to give me drink, going to give my camels drink. But just so I know it's you, God, I'm not going to say one thing about her taking care of my camels. I'm just going to ask for me. And if her heart is moved and she takes care of my need and sees their need, then I will understand that is the type of person my master wants to marry her son. That's the type of person that's selfless. That's the type of person that thinks more than just about herself and her needs, but the needs of others and the needs of others. And so all of a sudden he makes this simple request of her. She responds in verse 18. 
She gets the pitcher of water and says, here, drink, my Lord. She hastened. She moved quickly. She let down the pitcher, and she gave him the beverage. And after that, in verse 19, when he gets his swig of water, after she finished giving him drink, she says, I will draw water for your camels also until they have done drinking. I just throw this out here. It's the power of detail-oriented prayer. I would encourage you to be more specific with your prayers than you've ever been in your life. The more detail gives God, the more glory. Because it becomes increasingly aware. It's irrefutable. It is undeniable. I talked to God about this. I named the time. I named the place. I named the condition. I named the day. You go down all those lists. And all of a sudden, when it's checked off one by one by one, you can say, here it is. Only God can do that. God heard my God loves when you get personal with him. God loves when you spend time with him and share details with him because it shows to him that you believe he is a God that cares and a God that listens and he will reply and respond to the outermost detail. And here all of a sudden she begins now to give to the camels. She offers, let me give to your camels as well. And so what we need to see and realize here is that she did more than a little because all that was asked of her was to give him a drink. But she did not stop there. Now, I, I don't know how you would do. I'm not a female. There's only two genders, male, female. And whatever you're born biologically, that is what you are. I don't care what society says. It's what the Word of God says. Let God be true and every man a liar. Okay? In the beginning, God created male and female, created he, them. And so what we must see here is, uh, again, I, I don't know how it's like to be a female. I can only maybe learn some behaviors by being around some. But if you think it's rough being a female today, being a female back then was even more rough. In most cultures, you were little to no worth more than just a piece of property. And so here she is out by herself, out at a well, and there's a strange man she's never met before. I'd be like, stranger danger. I'd have my taser out. I'd be concerned. I'd be worried. I'd be nervous. I'm a, I'm a defenseless female. Sorry if that offends you, but, you know, it's biologically men just tend to be stronger. But in the 21st century, we've found out otherwise sometimes. So here's a man out in the middle of a field, just the two of them, and she doesn't know him. He's a complete stranger. And she could be nervous and worried, and all of a sudden he goes, I, I, can I have a drink of water? Her mind could be moving. Maybe there's ulterior motives to this man. I, I don't know. Maybe he's, he's want, he wants to you know, attack me when I let the pitcher down and I can't protect myself. She have all these thoughts, but she trusts. And she begins to serve, and she lets that water down, and she pulls that up for that man and gives him the little bit of water that he requests. That is a pretty awesome thing that she does. But she, instead of just telling him, no, I don't know you, you're a stranger, I, you wait till the rest of the people arrive, and when I have some witnesses around, then I'll help you. But right now, I just, you just stay at the distance, you stay on the other side of the well. But she did not do that. She met his need. And after meeting that need, she looked over and she saw those camels. And something was activated. Something was triggered in her. And she says, I want to give your camels a drink also. Now that may not seem like much to us. But if you read about camels, depending on the age and depending on the breed of camel, it, it, it will drink. One camel will drink anywhere from 20 gallons of water to 50 gallons of water in a single setting in less than 10 minutes. Like there's some people I want to offer help to, but like I'm counting the cost before I offer the help to. That's because the Lord's still working on me. That's why I thank God for godly people like Dave Gustafson and godly people like Troy and James. They, they just did it. They didn't think about it. At least they, I don't know if they thought about it, but I would have thought about it. Like, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know how much it's going to cost. All that, that stuff would go through my mind, but they just, they just did it. And this woman, I don't know if she calculated it, but how many camels are there? Ten camels. So say they're little baby dwarf camels like me. And they can only drink 20 gallons of water. What's 10 times 20? 200 gallons of water. There's not a spigot there. There's not a faucet there. It's a bucket at a well that she has to let down. Then she has to pull up. Uh, maybe someone knows off the top of your head. What is the weight of 200 gallons of water? Someone pull up Siri or something. 
200 gallons of water. I see some mathematicians moving right now. It's a lot of weight. And she's a female. Again, you get mad about that. I know there's women that could whoop me, but I'm just saying, like, she's pulling two. And if they're bigger ones, 500 gallons of water. That's no easy feat for nobody, not even strong man. Doing that competition, you're just doing. The Bible says in verse 20, she hasted. She knew this was going to take time. She empties her pitcher into the trough, and she runs back to the well and draws more water. She keeps going back and forth. Let the water down. Pull the water up. Empty water pitcher. Pick up pitcher. Go to the trough. Drop it into the trough. Pick up the pitcher. Go back. Set the pitcher down. Put the water put the bucket down all the way down, 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 down. All right, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. However many times to get over two hundred gallons of water. She moved speedily. She moved quickly. And the Bible says in verse 20, I love this, the man is just sitting there. Just pondering. I wonder if she could do it. Again, I don't know what it's like to be a female, but I would be a ticked off female that moment. Here I am, I just got my cuticles done, and I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, now I'm letting all this down, and my hands are weary and worn. I'm tired. And this guy is just sitting there like. How about, dude, get up and help me. I just did 100 gallons. How about you do the next 100? And then I'll, I'll relieve you of some of your duty. I'll do the 100 after that. But he just sits there the whole. A lot can go through a person's mind when you're doing the work and others are sitting idle. A lot can go through your attitude. A lot can go through your spirit when you seem to be sacrificing more than someone else. But you do not need to worry about anyone else's lack of labor, lack of effort, lack of sacrifice. You make sure you have the right spirit. You make sure you have the right attitude. Make sure you're doing it as unto the Lord. And so all of a sudden, there, there, there she is. She, she finally gets the last load of water, and she keeps feeding those camels until they are done drinking. And now the Bible says in verse 22, as the camels finish their last drink, that man now gets up. And now he begins to bring gold. He begins to bring gifts and offerings and treasures, and he weighs them out to her. She had no expectation for anything. There is a, a, an element in our society that is growing increasingly by the day, and that is those who will only do something if they get something. You know, they only do something if they think it's worth it, if it's going to benefit them, and they won't do it for less than a price and less than a cost but this lady she did not expect anything it was simply the motive of a heart that wanted to meet the need of a man that wanted to meet the need of what he owned and what he had and she began to serve and she moved quickly she could have moved at any pace she wanted to because it was not a guaranteed paid she could have slowly walked she could have slowly got it and say there you go you want more, get it yourself. But she just kept doing it and doing it and working and working. And because of her labor, because of her effort, because of her sacrifice, because of her selflessness, she was rewarded with a gifting. She was rewarded with a treasure. She was rewarded with a blessing. You, we don't do this for a reward. We don't do, this is our reasonable service that we are able to do living for the Lord. But I want you to understand if you could ever get a right heart and a right motive, as a servant of the Lord, there's reward that comes with it. There's blessing that comes with it. There's benefits that come with it. Uh, you'll never regret sacrificing. You'll never regret serving the kingdom of God. God is good, and his mercy endures. For, uh. Hallelujah. Oh, I love you, Lord. Hallelujah. 
We must make sure that we do more than a little, more than minimum expectations, more than minimum requirements, because that is the spirit of the age right now, doing as little as possible to get by. How little can I do and still have this job? How little can I do and still get benefits? How little can I do and still get this? How little can I do and still pass the class? How little can I do and still be involved with this extracurricular activity. That is the mantra of the spirit of this age. But let it not be said that of the church of the living God. I hope people realize there's something different about our spirit than anyone else's spirit in this community. You ought to be known as the best worker at your job. You ought to be known as the best person that they've ever hired. You ought to be known as the most cheerful person. Someone that they like to be around. They like to talk to. They like to share things. Students, you need to make sure that's how the student body looks at you. That's how people see you when you're down that hallway, that this is a good person. I don't have to worry about him making fun of me. I don't have to worry about him insulting me. I don't have to worry about him gossiping on me. I don't have to worry. You understand what I'm saying right now. We have a great opportunity to represent our heavenly father, to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hallelujah. And she did more than a little, more than barely getting by. She went above and beyond and fed the, the thirst of those camels. And she ends up becoming the bride of one of the patriarchs of faith. You got Abraham. You got Isaac. And guess who comes next? Jacob. Who's the one that gave birth to Jacob? Who's the one that gave birth to the nation of Israel? Rebecca, who's Rebecca, the one that served and gave all that water to those camels and gave that water to that man. She had no idea what was going to happen in the next chapter of her life simply because she was moved with compassion. There is no telling what the next chapter of our lives as a church can be if we would be moved with compassion. If we start thinking outside the walls and outside ourselves and thinking about the lost, think about the hurting, think about the impoverished, think about the imprisoned, think about the destitute, some Something powerful happens when we are moved with compassion. Can we lift our hands? Can we lift our voices? Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, Father. I worship you, Lord. I praise you, God. I magnify you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? We've been given something so precious, so valuable, so powerful. I thank God for this truth. I thank, you, thank God for the power of what he's placed in our hands. We read the story in 2 Kings 13, 14. Elisha the prophet's fallen sick. And he's about, it's the very sickness he dies from. That's a whole lesson of itself. That God does allow us to die. Even from sicknesses. And Elijah who raised the dead and saw the sick healed. He died of sickness because it's appointed to man to die. But the Bible says he comes across the king before he dies, Joash, the king of Israel. In verse 15, he tells Joash, grab some bow and arrows. And like the king's probably like, okay, well, we can get an archery lesson. And as he gets those bow and arrows, he says to the king of Israel, put your hand on that bow. And he put his hand upon it. Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And all of a sudden, as they're both formed to shoot an arrow, he tells him, I want you to open the window eastward. He opens and Elisha says, shoot. He shot the arrow. He's done everything the prophet of God has told him to do. And after he did that comes revelation and understanding. It's the power of simple obedience. Simple acts of obedience bring further revelation. And because of his submission and his obedience, all of a sudden now, he says, I want you to understand what just occurred. Those arrows you shot signify the deliverance from Syria. You're going to smite them till you consume them. And so they go and retrieve those arrows. And verse 18 says, take those arrows. And he says, now smite the ground. And he smote three times. And then he stopped. 
And the man of God was angry with him. He says, you should have smitten that ground five or six times. And you would have utterly destroyed and wiped Syria off the map. But because you stopped at three, because you thought that was enough, that's the amount of times you're going to have victory. It's important for us to realize this, that God doesn't always give you all the details and all the specifics because he wants you to make some decisions on your own to test your spirit, your character, your heart, your motive. And so he gave this king, he could have told the king, I want you to smite it five times and he'll be utterly destroyed. But then he would have thought it was a simple formula and he would have just did the simple formula and went through the motions. But this is more than a formula and this is more than going through the motions. This is about putting your heart into it. He had the understanding of what those arrows signified. Those arrows signified deliverance. And if that king would have had a heart filled with passion, he would have realized this is what I got in my hand and he would have started going to town on that land and on that ground and there would have been a victory they would have kept that ground they would have kept that land it would have been there I want to encourage somebody today we got to go above and beyond minimum expectations we got to go beyond and above just simple obedience yes obey but somewhere in the act of obedience there has to be a heart there has to be a right spirit that says I'm not just doing this to prove I'm submitted. I'm not just doing this to prove I'm obedient. I'm doing this because I believe what's in my hand is powerful and what I have a hold of is going to bring total victory. It's going to bring total dominion and authority and we should begin to strike the ground and God will give us the land if we would give our hearts in our hands and we would go after the things of God. I want to do more than a little. I don't want just minimum expectations. I don't want to just barely pass. I don't want to just get to heaven. I want to bring someone to heaven with me. I want to see revival. I want to see breakthrough. God never told you how often to pray and how long to pray. He simply put prayer in your hands saying this is what prayer does. Now what will you and I do with prayer? What will you and I do with prayer? We know God answers prayer. We know God shows up in prayer. We know our relationship is built in prayer. But is prayer just an equation, a New Year's resolution of I pray this many times a day and this long a day and I check it off at the end of the year. I feel good about myself because all the boxes are checked. Or does something happen when we get a hold of prayer and say, I don't want to just do it five minutes. I don't want to just be here 20 minutes. I want to linger in the presence of God. I know I usually pray an hour, but I just want to linger in the presence of God. And the more your heart is in the discipline, the more your heart is in the obedience, God will give you dominion over the land. God will give you spiritual authority over what he's entrusted you with. Can we lift our hands? Can we lift our voices? Jesus, I pray you help us. Help us to do more than a little. I want to do more than a little. Oh, come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. We could do more than John 3.16. I believe in the name, but I want to be baptized in that name. I want to John 3.5. I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. Thank God that you've been baptized in Jesus' name, but I want more than being baptized in the name. I want his spirit inside of me. I want the presence of God to flow out of me like a cup that runs over. God, fill me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I want more than a, hey, thank God you experienced Acts 2.38, but there's more than that. You know, there's more than that. There's more than just the minimum requirements of church membership. I want to go above and beyond because he is worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. Luke 19, I'm just about done. Hallelujah. 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 In verse 12, a certain nobleman goes into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom to return. He calls his ten servants, delivers to them ten pounds. He says to them, occupy till I come. That word occupy does not mean to possess, but to improve. To busy oneself, to profit, to make it worth more. He gave them something. He says, don't just possess it, improve it. But they took it for granted. And they did not receive the way they should have received. 
So he returns in verse 15. And those servants he calls to him that he gave the money to. He says, I want to know what you did with it. Those gifts I gave you, that money I gave you. And the first one came and said, Lord, your pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little. What he gave him was very little. He says, but you did something with that little. You went and made more than a little. You grew it. No matter how little you have, you can value it. It says that he declared to this faithful servant, I give you authority over ten cities. Second one comes. Your pounds gave five, gained five. And he says to him, I've given you authority over five cities. Then the other one that has the same pound, he hid it. He did nothing with the little but merely possessed it. And you go on reading, I'm not going to read through all of it. He is furious. He's enraged with him that he did nothing with the little that he had. Whatever little you think you have, no matter how little you, do, you feel about it, if you could ever value it and realize where it came from. That's the key thing is where did this come from? People can mock how little a church is. They can mock how little a work is. They can mock how little whatever about you. But the Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. And if you look at the little and despise not the day of small things and realize God gave me this. And I'm not just going to possess this. I want to improve this. And all of a sudden, when they begin to approve it, it was, just, it was just a pound. It was just money. And God said, I'll give you true riches. I'll, I'll give you authority over ten cities. I'll give you authority over five cities. And I believe that is a test in what we can experience in the spirit here of what we do with our little. All of us have a little. But do you want to do more than a little? You want to experience more than a little? You need to start valuing the little that you have and not call it little, not call it small, call it great. And begin to speak and to make the effort and the sacrifice of what you believe it to be. And all of a sudden when they make that sacrifice and he has 10 pounds and this other guy has 5 pounds, Jesus says, okay, you get 10 cities to rule. You get 5 cities you have authority over. In the name of Jesus, I believe this church is going to have authority over cities. This church is going to have dominion over cities. We are going to take regions around this area because we are not being careless with the little beginning that God gave us, but we have grown the little that we've had. We've multiplied the little that we've had. We've prayed. We've fasted. We've consecrated and we haven't backed down. We're still moving forward. We're still investing. We're still giving. We're still reaching. We're still striving and God says, okay, I'll give you more than a little. It started out with a little. It just started out with a handful, but you are going to have authority over 10 cities. You will have authority over five cities. Come on, church. I wonder if you could catch the vision and catch the spirit in the name of Jesus. Can you lift your hands and lift your voices? Oh, God, I want to do more than a little. I want to go above. I don't want to excel at mediocrity. I don't want to be average, God. I want to be great for you. Not great in comparison to anyone else, God. I just want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be meat for the master's use. I want to be prepared and ready for what you are going to do. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Let's never settle for where we are. I thank God for where we are. We're at a place we've never been before in the 17 years since this church plant. I thank God for it. But I, I cannot and you cannot and we cannot settle when there's more. There's more. And I don't, I don't belittle the size of this congregation. I thank God for it. But there are more lost souls than there are people in this room. 
There's not a single building in Watertown, South Dakota that can house the amount of lost souls. And it's not just Watertown. It's Coddington County. It's not just Coddington. It's, it's, there's a significant population of people that, you, that they're, they're, they're not trying to fulfill what Jesus said to do. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. In Luke 15, there is a parable about lost sheep, lost coin, and the prodigal son. The parable of lost sheep, there's a hundred of them, but one's missing. He had more than a little. He had the high majority of the flock. Only one was missing. But that spirit, that attitude like Rebecca doesn't settle until every single one be found and went the extra mile to find that one. The lost coin, an inanimate object, not even a living thing, had nine of the ten, but just knowing bothered the person enough to look through the house over and over and over again. Does it bother anybody? Does it bother somebody that there's at least one lost? This church can grow to the size of 20,000 people, but if there's still one lost, there's more to reach. Every soul matters. Don't settle for majority if it's not the full thing. But a lost object, a lost animal is one thing. A lost soul is a whole other thing. That's why that prodigal son... That's what we want. We want souls. There's prodigals in this community. There's so many prodigals. Pro I, don't, I don't know. There are probably more prodigals than there are people in this room. I know that we have cast our net. We've cast our bread on the waters. But this year, I, I, I've talked with Pastor Jared about it. I've, I feel so strong that the thrust, the big thrust of what, what this church's focus is, is souls. There's got to be new souls. There's got to be new souls. Thank God for all the souls here. Thank God for everyone that's been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. But we need new souls because there's lost souls. And that's got to be our heartbeat. And we, got, we cannot settle for where we're, we have good church. We have a good time. I, this is great. I love coming to church. You come, come to Webster. Come to Millbank. We have a great time too. But I'm just saying the atmosphere world there is a little different than the breakthrough that we have here. It's a fight in Webster. It's a fight. It's a struggle in Millbank because we haven't broke open the heavens yet, but it's going to happen. But we can't just sit here under an open heaven when there's an open hell as well that we got to snatch somebody out of. It's got to bother us that there's a lost coin. It's got to bother us that there's a lost sheep. And I pray in the name of Jesus that God would grip our hearts with the love.